are so excited for our Christmas spectacular on Friday the 21st of December when we will be bringing both the 11am and the 6pm services together for one night only. We know that this is going to be a great opportunity to bring the people in your world to church. We're asking you to invite your friends to a Christmas spectacular that is not only going to give them an incredible, wonder-filled experience with carols and dance and awesome media production, but what if it also gives them a reason to think, maybe there is more to life, maybe there is a God who really cares. In the seats around you and on the tables in the foyer, there are these invitation cards and we would love you to take them, hand them out at work, at school, to your neighbours and your family. Let's be about everyone this Christmas church and invite your world. So hey Liverpool One Church, can you believe that we are now officially in the Christmas season? I mean, doesn't it just feel like that has come around way too soon? I mean, honestly, it's like, where has the time gone? And you know what? I'm just um, convinced that if you weren't feeling Christmassy enough, then chances are on your way to church today, it was made so apparent to you that it was Christmas because you probably saw the thousands of Santas lining up ready to do the Liverpool Santa Dash. I mean, I know that some of you were seriously thinking, did I just have too much to drink last night? Or are there literally hundreds of red men running all over town? And, um, but for us, it's actually felt like Christmas for a long time because we put our Christmas tree up in July. I love my wife and um, she, without doubt, makes the best Christmas tree, I'm convinced. But it feels like it's been Christmas for just months. But chances are, now we're officially in December, we can use the C word unashamedly because it really is that Christmas season. And we're in the start of a brand new series simply called Christmas Begins. Chances are on your way into the auditorium today, you've actually been handed a flower. Now you're probably thinking, well, this is weird, right? Well, we just thought that we'd do all of you guys a favor. We understand that you don't always have the opportunity to nip out to the BP petrol station and pick up your wife some flowers. So we would just make the whole thing easier for you. So you can go home after church today and you can be like, surprise, look what I've bought for you. And your wife is gonna love you a long time. It's gonna be awesome. So you can do what you want with the flower, but play with it because we want you to keep that at least alive until the end of this talk. You know, the Christmas story, as we know it, is undoubtedly come to our attention through the format of the Gospels. The Gospels were these accounts that were made by these eyewitnesses, those people that were around Jesus when he walked the planet and put on flesh as God's one and only son. I mean, these eyewitness accounts, they actually recorded the factual occurrences that took place 2,000 years ago when God chose to give his one and only son, Jesus, to come to the earth, put on flesh, and literally restore that relationship between God and humanity. There are many things that you might be aware of regarding the Christmas story, but one of the things that's so apparent to me is that when you read what happened around the Christmas story that we know of, what you find is that there are so many people that were just ordinary and regular that were so used by God. I mean, it's quite incredible when you think about it. There are so many people on the storyboard of the Christmas story 
that in many respects were just like you and I. They were going about their ordinary everyday lives and it was like God just got involved in their world and incorporated them into his great plan to restore the relationship between him and humanity. I mean, think about Mary. Mary was this young teenage Jewish girl, a virgin in fact, who was engaged to a guy called Joseph and she ends up being brought in right up front and centre to the entire Christmas narrative. I mean, I don't even know whether she expected it. I don't think she did. She was clearly surprised. And yet we find her featured in a central and prominent figure in the entire Christmas story. It was like God was just wanting to use an ordinary and regular girl. Then we could talk about Joseph. I mean, he's just this ordinary and regular Jewish guy. I mean, he's probably a teenager. He's engaged to the girl that he loves to bits. He's probably a carpenter. I mean, his family are probably all tradesmen. I mean, ordinary and regular. And yet we see that God uses this ordinary guy called Joseph to bring up and raise up his one and only son. When, if we're really honest, it actually would have been way easier for Joseph to walk away from Mary when he found out that his wife was pregnant and he wasn't the father. But he chose not to. He chose to take another route and stay with her and he answered the call of God on his life because he felt that maybe in some small way God could use a life like his also. But they're not the only characters in the Christmas story and you would probably know maybe even more than me. There are so many we could talk about. What about the shepherds? Do you know the shepherds, they they actually had the most lowliest of jobs in that time, in that context of their life. They had the job that nobody else actually wanted to have. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd because it was like the job that you lived out in sheer isolation. You were outside of the city gates. You were outside of the community. You would spend your life on your own, just day to day, searching for land that your sheep could graze. It was a dirty job. It was a smelly job. Nobody wanted that job. But what we find, according to the gospel narrative, is that these shepherds were some of the first people that were told about the birth of Jesus. It was almost like these really ordinary and regular guys were included in God's plan to save the world right up front. And yet they were the grouping of people that nobody else would ever want to be. No one else would want that job. I mean, then we could talk about the three kings, you know, the Magi sent from the East. Isn't it incredible how God used their lives in the Christmas story in order to make sure that certain Location information was not relayed back to King Herod, who had just said about it as his plan to try and ensure that nobody would supersede him in his power. But actually, he was intent on finding out who Jesus was, where Jesus was, so that he could kill him. And then there are a ton of other people that are on the peripheral of the Christmas story. We could talk about Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, who was a great friend of Jesus when they were growing up. And then it goes on in Luke's gospel, and he had a really forensic mind, and he'd record all the details. There's people like Simeon and Anna who were used in the temple in Jesus' early days. I think that what's overwhelming about the Christmas story is that there are so many ordinary and regular people that God did incredible things through. It was almost like God was always intent on using regular and ordinary people. But you know, the Christmas narrative as we know, it didn't start in the Gospels. I mean, maybe the parts that we might understand did, but actually this was a plan that God had put into place thousands of years earlier. 
And we know this because there was a conversation that happened in Genesis 12 between God and a man whose name at that time was Abram. However, God later changed his name, and maybe you're familiar with the term Abraham, but God made this promise to Abram about how one day God would do something incredible through the life of Abraham. And even way before the birth of Christ, God had already started to speak to man about how at some point in the future, everything is going to change. God is going to make a way for mankind to actually be in a real and authentic relationship with God. And in Genesis 12, this is what it actually reads when we recount this conversation. God's speaking to Abraham and he says this, Genesis 12 verse 2, he says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And check this bit out. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I mean, what's so obvious to me when you read that scripture is that it's a conversation that God's having with Abraham and that latter part about how one day all people on the earth will be blessed through you. The very thing that God was speaking to Abraham about was the birth of Jesus that was gonna come thousands of years later because Jesus was actually gonna be included within the very bloodline of Abraham. How crazy is that? But again, the point is brought home that actually God is really intent on using the lives of just ordinary and regular people. Maybe ordinary and regular people just like you, just like me. What's interesting about that passage of Scripture in Genesis 12, though, and it kind of made me smile when I was thinking about it, is that there's this conversation between God before God promises to Abraham that one day I'm going to work through you. But he's in essence, he's saying, hey, listen, Abraham, by the way, just so you know, I am going to bless you. I'm going to make you strong. I'm going to make you into a mighty nation. In other words, if you surmised what he was saying, it was this, Abraham, I'm going to do incredible things for you. And I think... Abraham would have been loving that. You know why? Because I think we would love that too. You know, if you're anything like me, have you ever thought and felt sometimes like certain parts of our faith life are concentrated way more on what God can do for you than what God can do through you? Because it's the latter part of that scripture when God's saying, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, that is kind of like a standout line to me. He's saying to Abraham, listen, yeah, I'm going to do incredible things for you, for sure. For sure, I'm going to bless you. For sure, I'm going to ensure that whatever you do and turn your hand to is going to work and is going to flourish. I'm going to walk with you, Abraham. But by the way, I am intentional about working through you also. You know, if I were to say something really honest, there are so many things that we can talk about in the life of church. But today, this is what I actually think. I think that we're going to talk about something that Satan does not want you to know about at all. Now, I know that the term Satan or the devil, however you would refer to the evil one, might be different for all of us. But as a Christian, scriptural, believing church, we know that we have an enemy. We have an adversary, the scriptures would teach. And, um, you know, there's an evil force that's moving on the planet. Sometimes that's so obvious and apparent for us to see. And it's certainly not my intent to freak anybody out because typically that's not our language, right? You know, typically we always hone in and focus on the good things of God because we believe that the scriptures teach 
that it's the good things of God that cause people to change. It's not like trying to scare anybody into faith. That's crazy. But the bottom line is, if there were a message that Satan would not want you to hear, without a doubt, it's this what we're talking about today. If there, was, there are many things that we could talk about in church that honestly, I don't think are on Satan's radar at all. But the very thing that we're going to talk about today, he does not want you to know one job. He does not want churches in Liverpool, in the UK, in Europe, on our planet to know and talk about and consider the very thing that we're going to talk about today. Because today, I want to talk to you about how maybe your life is not just for you. What if, whilst we want God to do things for us, God is more intentional about what he can do through you. It's not about for you. What if it's actually about you being used as an ordinary and regular kind of guy and girl that is committed to following Christ? What if God actually wants to do the incredible and work through your life? Would you be open for it? Would you be willing to be used by God in whatever way possible? I mean, for sure, without a doubt, this creates a huge tension. And it creates so many tensions for so many different reasons, right? Because the idea that your life doesn't exist solely for you, it kind of goes against everything that our culture would tell us and teach us. I mean, you only have to like have conversations with your friends, look on social media, go to work, watch TV, see a movie. And what you can see is our culture screams at us, it's all about you. And you could look and break down across so many different areas of your life and it screams, your world is all about you. You being awesome, you being better, you looking the part, you achieving, you going for your goals. But what if your life was not designed and created to be all about you? But our whole world screams at us, it's all about you. I mean, hey girls, you know, if you're not happy with your makeup, then the adverts will tell you, just spend a little bit more money, get a little bit of a different product, and you can look better, you can be better, you deserve to look awesome all of the time. You should, you deserve this, you've earned this. If you want a bag, if you want something, if you want this, you've earned it, you've deserved it. Whatever it is that you want, you should just be able to go and get it in life because it's all about you and you have earned it, right? Some of you guys, you know, it's like when you're buying a car, you don't just want any car, you want the upgraded model of the car because you work hard and you deserve it and your life should really be all about you. I mean, why should it not? When it comes to advertising and marketing, everything screams at us, it's all about you. What do you want? What do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? Because life is all about you. Probably every single one of us in this auditorium, right, at some point in our lives, we interact with social media. You know, the problem with social media, even though I I use it, I've got three followers on the gram, it's awesome. Even the biggest problem with social media is this, is that when you go on social media, maybe you can write a blog, put a post, snap a photograph, is that the effect of other people interacting with your images, say, on Instagram, when you put out a photograph, when somebody likes it and somebody comments, You know what it does in your own brain, in your own body? You get this release of dopamine that is like this really addictive drug. And it kind of like flashes in your own body saying, this is awesome. 
The fact that somebody else values your photograph of your beans on toast or whatever it is, you're putting it out there. It's kind of like someone else is a beans on toast kind of guy too. You know, people say to me all the time, like, who does the cooking in your house? And I'm like, absolutely not me. I am the worst chef on the planet, I promise you. But like, seriously, that's why you never see me putting food out there because I can't cook anything. But it releases this dopamine drug in your brain. And it becomes addictive because you buy into the idea, you love the idea that other people are all over the thing that you're putting out there. You love the idea that other people are valuing your thoughts, your blog, your comments. And it makes you feel better about yourself because it's all about you. We're taught, aren't we? Our life is all about a few things, really. Get a good education because you need an education so you can get money. And when you get money, it means that you might be able to get a better marriage. And when you get the better marriage, you can make all the babies in the world. And it's kind of like, that's how many of us see life mapping out. It's like, that's the route. That's the path. It's all about you. Just do the best that you can do because make yourself happy. And the problem is, is that what we do then is we transfer this mentality that exists in our culture. That's that's kind of like all about us. And we bring it into our faith life. I'm not going to try and embarrass anybody because actually I'm guilty of this probably more than every single one. If I were to ask you just for a moment and just say, hey, will you just think for just a couple of minutes, will you just think about the last 10 times you prayed to God? The last 10 times you prayed to God, were you asking God to do things for you more than you were asking him to work through you? Because when I stopped and thought to myself, what are the last 10 things I've prayed to God? You know what? I just thought, you know what? Wow, I'm getting this so wrong. Because so much of my prayers, and I've got a prayer journal where I write all of this stuff down. I was looking back, I'm like, this is just all about me. You know, and maybe we all do the same thing. You can all pray, God, would you give me a promotion? God, would you bring me a husband or a wife when you haven't got one? God, could you help me succeed with my business? God, could you get me out of debt? God, could you help me? Can you do something for me with the exam? God, could you give me favour in the interview? God, can you do a ton of stuff for you? And it's totally understandable because we transfer the way that we're conditioned into our faith world and we think that actually our life and our faith life is all about us when actually it's not at all. And we're going to go to a small passage in the book of Ephesians. It was written by a guy called Paul. He was writing it to a church and he started to speak about this issue. And it's just the one scripture that we want to reference today. And hopefully we can all just lock into it for a moment. If you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and get it out and underline this first. If not, it's going to come up on the screen for you. But Paul writes this. He says, For we are God's handiwork. Can we just press pause for a moment there? Can you just imagine how different your life would look if we actually understood and really believed that you were designed and intricately made by the entire maker of the universe? I mean, would that not just blow your thinking away that Paul teaches us that you were designed by God, you were created by God, you are his workmanship. It's not all about you because you didn't design you. You didn't create you. You were created with a purpose by God. You are his handiwork. And he goes on, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Notice that word there. He says, do. He's saying, look, you were created in God's 
image. You were created by his workmanship to do something. In other words, you weren't created to just exist and make the world all about you. You, if you follow Christ, you are designed and created to do something, not just know stuff, not just know something. And this is the tension sometimes with churches that we can come on a Sunday and we can kind of feel that if I leave knowing a little bit more than I did when I came in, then like mission accomplished, we've done the main thing. But actually being a follower of Jesus is not about knowing stuff. It's not about knowing even the Bible. It's not about being able to memorize multiple passages of scripture. Hey, listen, when you get to heaven, there ain't gonna be a quiz, okay? It's not about what you know. Paul's saying it doesn't matter what you know, it's actually about what you do. In fact, James, who was the very brother of Jesus, I'm not being funny, but how difficult would it be to convince your brother that you were the son of God? But James says in James chapter one, he actually turns the whole thing on its head. And he's kind of like, and this is me paraphrasing. He's like, listen, if you think it's all about knowing and not about doing, you're getting the whole thing wrong. Because faith without works, doing, is completely dead. If you don't do something, you're not actually involved in the thing that God has created you for, purposed you for, whilst you walk on the planet. So he's saying, not only are you God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus, but you're designed to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's not about knowing. God created you, designed you to do good works. And this is way more significant, right? I mean, can you just imagine that? In the same way that God used people in the Christmas story that we've just heard of, in the same way that God used this old guy called Abraham thousands of years ago, that he is wanting to use and work through your life also. I mean, you're not here to just be involved in a job. You were designed and created for a purpose that is way bigger than that. I mean, you were created by God to do good works. You know what I think that that means and it's referring to? I think it's that you now who follow Christ, you're designed by God to show the love of God, his kindness, his care, his compassion, his ways, his love for humanity in the same way that you've received it to people who do not know him. That is what you are here for. Ever wondered like, hey, what am I even really here for? Well, if you follow Jesus, you are here to be a representative of God Almighty, Jesus Christ, who put on flesh in whatever area and circle of life that you operate in. Can you imagine that? That's actually what God's plan is for your life, that you would represent Him. Not like, hey, the pastor or the worship guy or your life group leader would represent Him, but you who choose to follow Christ, you would be like Him and you would show God's love and His compassion to the people in your world who don't yet know who he is. But if you're anything like me, chances are there are two things that always stop you from believing that God would ever want to work through your life. And we're all the same in this, right? And it's typically because of one of two reasons. You're going to either feel like you're disqualified from God ever working through your life, or you're unqualified for God to ever work through your life. So many times we disqualify ourselves because maybe it's because of something that you've done. You know, you've got a history, 
you've got an issue, maybe you've had an addiction, maybe you've got an addiction, maybe it was something that you said that was so harmful that you wish that you could retract your words with, but you know you can't and it caused damage and it caused carnage and that relationship broke down and now you don't speak to him and he doesn't speak to you and it's awkward and it affected them also. Or maybe it's not something that you've said, maybe it's something that you didn't do. You know, kind of like when you had the opportunity to do the right thing, but instead you chose to go a different path and now you regret it immensely. It's like you've done something, you've said something, or you didn't do something. And now whenever you think about the God of the universe wanting to work through your life, it's like you write yourself off. And you kind of go, there's no way that God would ever want to work through me because of the baggage that I carry. You know, If there was anybody that I think that could stand up and say that they were disqualified from ever being used by God or God doing something through their life, it would surely be the Apostle Paul who, by the way, wrote this scripture in Ephesians. I mean, he was the guy that was literally dragging Christ followers out of their house in order to detain them, imprison them, even murder them. I mean, and yet, even in spite of all of his past failings and errors, he never saw himself as being disqualified to be used by God in order that God would work through his life. Maybe it's not disqualification. Maybe it's the qualifications that you just don't have. Maybe you've written yourself off. Maybe you'd say, I'm just too old or I'm just too young, or it's for them now, it's their turn now. Or maybe it's like, I'm not smart enough, or I've not got the same education, or I've not got the same experience as that. I mean, that guy's awesome in the way that he can speak and he can do that, but I could never do that. God would never want to work through me. You know, maybe you think, oh, it'd be easy for my life group leader to be used by God. No, no, can I just say, if you're a follower of Jesus, You are already qualified with every single thing you could ever need in order for God to work through your life. And it might not always be in the ways that you think and expect, but but hear my heart, God is intentional about wanting to work through you. Yes, he absolutely wants to do things for you, but that can't be the focus of our church. It can't be the focus of our Christian life. Like, God, what are you gonna do next for me, God? It's like, no, no. God wants to work through you. What if the primary use of your gifts and your talents were not to be used for what you think they are? You know, there are so many things that that we're all smart on. Individually, you're going to be better at one thing than me. I'm going to be better at one thing than you. But there are so many gifts and talents and things going on in your life and in mine that actually we often look at and think, well, I'm just good at that. So I'm good with numbers. So I'm going to be an accountant. Um, Hopefully God will use me in some other way, but there's no way that God would ever use me as an accountant, right? Maybe you're a nurse and you'd say, well, I'm a nurse and this is just my secular job. This is what I do. But there's no way that God would ever want to use me through the secular job that I do day in, day out. God doesn't really work like that. Well, well, hang on. What if he does? I mean, what if the skill sets that you have, what if the job that you work, what if the places where you hang, what if the people that are in your world are there for being the primary reason for God to work through you to reach them? What if it's not all about you just picking up a paycheck? I mean, sure, you've qualified as a nurse, but what if all of that medical knowledge 
that you are so amazingly able to retain at the drop of a hat? What if that is not about you just going, going to work, getting a job and picking up a paycheck? What if God knew all along that he'd wired you that way to be able to hold down that niche job at that time in the place that you are, knowing of the people that would come into contact with you? What if you're there for a reason way bigger than you would ever think that you're there for? What if you're actually there so that God can work through you to show his love, his kindness, his compassion to people that come across your path on your every single day antics in life? What if you're the graphic designer, the accountant, the computer technician, the sales guy who spends most of his week just bouncing in and out of meetings that at times frustrate you and often you feel like you're not doing a great job, but you're just doing a job, you're there to pick up the money, you've got to pay the mortgage. But wait, what if the very skill sets that you have, and you clearly do because you're doing the job, what if those very skill sets are actually not about you getting into the meeting to sign the deal off, but about getting you into the meeting so you can be Jesus to the people who are also gathered around the table? What if God wants to use you for something bigger than you would ever give him credit for? What if you're the student and you feel like you're just at university right now just trying to buy time? Kind of like you're not really sure what you're going to do. You don't even think if you like your course or you don't like your course. You're not even sold on the whole thing. So you're just going to do the thing because it was better than, you know, sitting at home, working here, doing that. You're just kind of like on your own little one-man mission, doing your thing. But, but what if you're actually there because God has positioned that time and that place for a person just like you to work through your life in and amongst the people that don't know God in the way that you do? What if you're really there for a purpose way bigger than yourself? What if God actually really wants to work through and use your life? Would you be open for it? Because what if it's not just turning up for the job? What if it's not just doing your thing as a single mum? What if it's not just mundane and routine? I mean, to you, it just seems like work or the thing that you do. What if it's not just volunteering at the local community club? What if it's not something small and insignificant in the way that you see it? What if God wants to work through you? You know, just last week, we were on our way to school and we're driving and it had been icy the night before and literally we're on this main arterial route and this old guy comes crashing off his motorbike and slams into the wheels of another car. A number of cars just kind of stop and um, at first it was like everybody was just in shock and horror, like, hey, what do we do now? What's going on now? So you know what? I didn't really know exactly what to do and I just thought this sounded like the best plan. <laughs> So I unlocked my phone and I said to Saul, who's 12, I was taking him to school. I said, hey, listen, like, keep your eyes on me because in one minute's time, if I give you a thumbs up, hit 999 and get a paramedic here for me. So like, that sounded like the best possible plan. So I go running out to this guy and there's this old boy with this motorbike that's on top of him and his legs stuck underneath it. And you never really know what you're going to find, especially at a road traffic incident where a motorbike's involved. It can get really messy really easily, right? But I just started to speak to this guy and he was clearly kind of okay, shook up, undoubtedly horrified at the entire incident that had just happened. But as I got down on my hands and my knees and I'm just kind of talking with this guy, figuring out a plan about what we're going to do next, it became apparent to me that every other car on the road started to just drive past us. 
And I'm like down in the middle of this busy main road. And I'm thinking to myself, this is dangerous. I'm getting vexed at the fact that nobody's stopping. I mean, there's no way possible that they couldn't see us. Everybody could see us because everybody stopped, right? Everybody could see what was happening at first, but then everybody just started to drive past. And I literally, I said to this guy, I said, listen, if we don't get you up now and get you off the road, both of us are going to end up killed. I mean, like the icy, the road is icy and cars are skidding as they come around the corner. And I couldn't believe that nobody was actually choosing to pull over, stop, give assistance or whatever. Everybody that could see was just choosing to move on in life. So we end up like lifting this motorbike off his leg and we kind of carry him. Another guy eventually walked across and we kind of like shoehorned him onto the side of the road, made sure that he was okay. But I was absolutely blown away at the fact that every single one of us could all see the same thing, but almost nobody chose to stop. Everybody could see, but nobody stopped. I think church can be just like that. I think following Jesus can be just like that. Where we can see our friends and our family who don't yet know him and we know about it, but we just kind of choose not to stop. We choose not to engage in the conversation. We choose not to present the invitation. We choose not to go to the difficult place. We choose not to to play it awkward, but rather we choose to play it safe. And yet we know people who are outside of a relationship in a real and authentic way with the maker of heaven and earth. And we are focused on what God can do for us and not what God can do through us. So even though we can see their hurt and we can see their pain, even though at times we're aware of the divorce or the illness, we're aware of the mental health issues that they're struggling with, we're aware of the tensions that have been created because their business is failing or they've just lost their job. Even though we can see all of this pain and all of this carnage, what we do, because we like to make it all about us and we carry on praying that God would do things for us. We don't ever say, God, would you use me and work through me to show these people that you love them equally in the same way as you've shown and demonstrated your love to me. We see it all the time, but we just don't stop. And yet I think that God in heaven, who has made you as his handiwork, is desperately wanting to work and do something through you. So this is what I want you to do. This week, and just kind of like lean in, just hear me out. It sounds a little bit more, but I promise you it gets a little bit better. But, but this is what I want you to do this week. So every single one of you on the way into the auditorium today, you'll have all have been past a flower. I know for sure, I don't know a lot about flowers, but I know that if it's outside of water and not placed in a vase, that this flower is going to die. This flower is going to wilt and it's going to wither and it's not going to last. It's not going to survive. I'm asking you, Liverpool One Church, over the next coming weeks, will you stick this flower in a place that you're going to see every single day? Tape it to your mirror where you clean your teeth. Stick it by the kettle where you make a cup of tea every single morning. Will you just put this flower, not in water, not in a vase, will you just put this flower somewhere that you're going to see every single day? And then every day you're going to watch it. And every day you're going to see it. And whilst it's not connected to the life source, you're going to watch it wither. You're going to watch it die. You're going to watch it wilt. 
But I want you, as you see what's happening to the flower, not to just move on. I want you to see it and stop and ask this question. Whose salvation are you concerned for in this Christmas season? Whose life do you care for enough that it would make you stop and then pray? God, would you work through me today and help me not to just pursue you for the things that you can do for me? Because when you know of someone whose salvation you're concerned, like when you know and you're concerned and you're mindful, when you know you've got to go, when you know you've got to go, when you know you've got to go and be open to God doing something through you. Church, let's stand to our feet and pray. 